Hello and welcome to Digital Insights, featuring topics from the BoagWorld.com blog. My name is Paul Boag and on this podcast I offer advice on user experience and digital transformation. Today I want to talk to you about how it's very hard to trust what users say to you. To understand users, we can't simply take what they say at face value. We need to dig a little deeper into how they think and what they truly need. Increasingly, organisations are running user surveys, focus groups and usability test sessions. They get feedback that they receive from these activities and that shapes the direction of their digital offerings. And it's great. It can resolve internal disagreements over direction and reduce risk. But does it always lead to a better product or service? Well, not necessarily. Here's the harsh truth. Sometimes your users lie to you. They don't always realise they're doing it and they don't mean to lie, but they do. And if we continue to take what they say to us at face value, it's going to end up taking our product in the wrong direction. If we want to create products and services that meet the needs of users, we need to do more than listen to what they say. So why is it that users lie to us? Why can't we just accept what they tell us at face value? Well, I believe that there are six reasons, six reasons that I want to share with you. And it begins with how we respond differently at different points of purchase. Imagine you're launching a new web app. You've done your research and everybody you've spoken to has raved about it. People love the idea and they've told you that they will buy it at the price point that you suggested. But when you launch the product, nobody purchases it. How can that be? Everybody said they loved it. Why aren't they buying it? Why did they lie to you? I see this happen all the time. Users aren't intentionally lying. It's just that at the moment of purchase, they wake their lizard brain, that animal part of their brain that's concerned with survival, the part of their brain that doesn't want to let go of what they have and so become unwilling to pay for your great new app. The lizard brain doesn't care about the hypothetical conversation you had earlier because that was a future purchase and the lizard brain only lives in the moment. But when the time to buy arrives, it digs its heels in and people don't sign up. One way of avoiding this problem is to run something like a Kickstarter campaign. That way people actually have to sign up and pay in advance and you will know whether or not they're willing to actually pay for your product or service. Failing that, you could always ask whether they'd be ready to sign up today. It doesn't matter if you actually have that option or not. Just asking the question will cause the lizard brain to react. Number two, we always try to please others. The second problem you're going to face is that we're social animals. Generally speaking, we try to get along with other people. And this desire to please is further amplified if the person we're dealing with is our superior or we feel indebted to them in some way. Now, apply that to a user interview or a usability test session or even a focus group. The person chairing the session is automatically the dominant person. Combined with the fact participants are often paid for their time, it's hardly surprising they feel a desire to please us by telling us what they think we want to hear. Ensuring your questions are as neutral as possible will help with this. That way, users will be less sure of what answer they think they should give. But even better is to distance yourself from the subject you're discussing. For example, in a usability test session, I tell users I'm not involved with the project. That way they know I'm not personally invested in it and they can answer in whatever way they want. Number three, we behave differently when watched. 
Usability test sessions can be particularly challenging uh, because it's an artificial environment and that makes it hard for users to provide a genuine response. Not only do users tell us what they think they want us to hear, as I explained earlier, they also behave differently because we're watching them. We all know the feeling. No, somebody is watching us makes us more self-conscious, doesn't it? We get flustered, say things that we later regret and behave out of character. A good facilitator can help with this by making the participant feel relaxed, but users are never going to act entirely naturally. For a start, they are typically in a strange place and they're not using their own devices. That's why it's important to supplement usability testing with monitoring. Analytics can be a valuable way of telling what users are actually doing in the real world. And you might want to consider a session recorder like Full Story that actually allows you to watch back recorded videos of user behavior. Admittedly, you can't talk to these users, but you can at least see what they're doing. Also, consider carrying out usability testing in people's homes. If you can't do that in person, you could use a tool like Lookback to do it remotely. That will help users relax and give you more natural results. Number four, others influence our opinions. Earlier I mentioned we're social animals and that pre uh, presents another problem when it comes to getting genuine responses from people because others will affect their views. That's particularly problematic in a focus group. Often a single dominant and persuasive individual influences the entire group towards embracing a certain point of view. Alternatively, the group will seek to find a compromise between the different viewpoints and introduce ideas that individually wouldn't have occurred to them. Of course, good facilitation can mitigate this problem, but often the simplest solution is to meet with users individually rather than in groups. Admittedly, this is more time-consuming, but will generate better results. Number five, when expressing opinion, people tend to be polarised. Whether you're running a focus group or meeting with people individually, there are only so many people that you can feasibly talk to, and that's why user surveys are so popular. They enable you to gather a statistically significant amount of data, but they come with their problems, especially if you're not familiar with interpreting their results. Let's be honest, it takes a lot for somebody to bother completing a survey and providing feedback. Unless you're being incentivized to do so, we probably won't bother unless we have an unusually strong opinion. Nobody completes a survey to tell you that something is okay or adequate. Because we only tend to provide feedback that is either strongly positive or negative, it means that survey results can be confusing if you're not familiar with interpreting them. It's so important to bear in mind that results you see will give a stronger impression than the reality. Users don't love or hate you quite as much as the data might suggest. Another example of these polarised reactions can be seen when we make a significant change. And that brings me on to the last point, which is we react badly to change. People don't like change. Change brings with it risk and danger, at least as far as our lizard brain is concerned. Also, from a user interface perspective, change disrupts people's normal workflows. It's unfamiliar and confusing. And that's why there's always such an outcry when Facebook or Twitter update their site. People react badly to something that they've been using so regularly when it changes. In fact, the more somebody uses something, the more they're likely to respond negatively if you try and change it. 
That presents an interesting conundrum to us as web designers. In our attempt to attract new users, we may wish to improve our website. But in doing so, we've got a danger of upsetting our existing users. Worse still, this inevitable negative reaction can discourage clients from embracing change themselves or even lead them to the conclusion that you as a designer have done your job badly. Fortunately, the solution to this problem is a simple one. Do nothing. At least don't rush into fixing the areas of criticism immediately. Given time, most users will adjust to the new interface and you will see uh, complaints radically dropping off. However, if that doesn't happen in the first few weeks, there may be legitimate concerns that need addressing. I would also encourage you to warn your clients and other stakeholders in advance to expect this kind of adverse reaction when you launch changes. That will help prepare them and give them the courage to hold firm for at least a few weeks. Whatever you do, don't allow my comments here to discourage you from carrying out user research and usability testing. These are both vital tools for improving the quality of your offering and focusing your client and stakeholders on user needs. But instead, my reason for talking about this stuff is to encourage you to dig a little deeper into user motivation and thinking, to look below the surface of what people say and understand what motivates them. Only then will you create a truly exceptional digital service.